two on a Monday. Hopefully everyone that uh, went to commercial break was soothed by the fact that it was all Halford and Bruff. It's like we never left. Yeah, you know, there like, was a lot of... There was like three Halbro commercials in there. <laughs> <laughs> Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Here's another commercial. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Here's another one. Hour two of this program is brought to you by Prime Time Brewing. Craft beer specifically. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, primetime craft beer is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you. Ask for it. They'll get it. Or you can visit them at the brewery to see how it's made. They'll go get it like while you're there. Sure. Why not? I don't know if they'll do that. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Como es Kintech? Okay, stop that, because we're going to get canceled. <laughs> um, I do want to read a bunch of your texts that came through all on different topics. We're going to start with this Four Nations tournament that they announced, and I'm just going to read <laughs> I love my favorite texter, Plop. Plop texts in, and uh, Plop took a plop on this tournament. Plop. Um, plop texts in, the way Jason feels about the All-Star game is how I feel about this Four Nations tournament. The fact that there are only four teams and that they must be from the NHL, it's frankly frustrating. I don't know why they can't have an eight-nation tournament and open it up to all leagues worldwide. To me, the only difference between this and the last time they did this crap is they are subtracting four teams. So the Four Nations tournament, here are the details. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all going to be NHL rules on NHL-sized rinks. The Four Nations, by the way, are the United States, Canada, Sweden, and Finland. Each team will play three tournament games in a traditional round-robin format with teams earning three points for a win in regulation, two points for a win in overtime or a shootout, one point for a loss in overtime or a shootout, and no points for a loss in regulation. The two teams with the best record will advance to a one-game final, and obviously the NHL is like, come on, Canada-U.S. final. Remember the last time they did something like this, they did call it a World Cup, but a wasn't a true World Cup. They had Canada versus Team Europe in the final. Now, I am not as down on this tournament as Plop is. Plop. Because I desperately want to see Canada play the Americans in a best-on-best. I think that will be very intense hockey. I do not think any of the players are going to... um, think this is just an exhibition, think this is a nothing tournament. This is also going to serve, I think, as a great warm-up for the 2026 Olympics, which would be the following year. Who wins this tournament? Like, if it's Canada and U.S. in the final, will I be, you know, walking around on eggshells or will I have that nervous tummy that I had back in 2010 when the gold medal game was on? Like, absolutely not. Right, I might be very much into it. I might have a few nerves. I definitely won't want the Americans to win if it turns out that that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get a nervous tummy because I'm having like an existential crisis. But uh, uh, you know, this tournament I'm looking forward to, but more as an appetizer for the Olympics when it will truly matter. I will perfectly understand though 
people like Plop, assuming Plop is a person and not a thing, um, <laughs> who is kind of like, uh, like it just seems like it's just kind it's like parts of good, but then where are well, all the other okay. teams? Where are all these great players that I'm not going to be able to see? Uh, let's dive into this a little bit. Plop asks, God, this is such I a thought, sh- I thought we were diving into it already. Yeah, I but let's, we dove in. But let's talk about the specifics of his text. First question is, I don't know why they can't have an eight-nation tournament and open up to all leagues worldwide. It's because it's a an NHLPA-NHL joint. It's like well, they used to have albums back in the day by two producers. Well, right? they've done it before, though. Like, go- going back, they have had other leagues. But... Yeah, but it got confusing when they had to do that. Yeah, but, well, I mean, the big the big reason is Russia, right? Like, even if, even if you do have... I was just um, going to get to that, but yeah, that was the other, that was the biggest point. <laughs> but it's also not just, like, having Russia there. It's players that might be playing in the KHL. Yeah, because I don't think that they'd be able to fill out a roster. Now, if you go to... If, look, If you look right now... Of the four nations, do you know how many Finnish defensemen have logged NHL games this season? 11. Like, it's not an overwhelming number. No, it's enough for There's game. enough to fill out a roster, yeah. but it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised if someone in the Finnish hockey organization was like, we'd probably like to have a player or two that aren't on NHL contracts because maybe they'd be a better fit for our national team. This is very specifically uh, designed for the NHL and NHLPA, by the NHL and NHLPA. Now, the other big thing is, why can't you have an eight-nations tournament? One word, as you said it, Russia. And that's not an NHL and NHLPA decision. The moment that you start to go outside of that and you start talking to uh, the uh, IIHF, who have already sanctioned Russia from participating in international tournaments, there's your answer. Your blueprint is right there. If you're going to have any sort of international tournament or international calendar, you're going to have to abide by the international hockey governing body. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cut and dry at that point. I kind of like how they're not selling this as a World Cup. Yeah, They're calling it a a, a Four Nations tournament. The issue that I had with the previous World Cup is they called it a World Cup. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a major problem because... You know, you had Team Europe, so what are they? And you had the Young Guns team that was comprised of Americans and Canadians on the same team. So you had players from, let's face it, Canada-U.S. is the biggest rival in hockey now. It wasn't always, but it is right now. Those are the two best teams in the world, with all due respect, I would say, to Sweden. Probably the third best team. And it was just all mixed up, and you're kind of like, well... What does it prove if Canada wins the World Cup? And at the end of the day, it proved nothing, right? It was just like, it seemed like a massive cash grab. They're calling this the Four Nations Tournament. And they used to do this stuff all the time. It wasn't, they would do an exhibition, right? Um, Now, it was a little bit different when it was the 87 Canada Cup or any of the other Canada Cups. That was... That was that was more serious, but you also have to remember back then, the NHL players didn't participate in the Olympics, so mm-hmm. that was a massive deal when those teams would play. And it was also you had this element of like, who are these Russian guys? Like they don't yeah. play in the NHL. We don't know anything about them. And of course, Canada got first got its big like, oh my god, these guys are good in 1972, and that mystique endured all the way into the 80s. Um, things are just so different now from a hockey perspective. But what I'm most glad about 
again, I've said it, is that we're going to get Canada versus the U.S. And I think all the players are going to be pumped for that. Guys like Connor McDavid, who's never played best on best with the big boys, played in the World Juniors, but never played best on best for Canada, is going to be excited. And I think his excitement, maybe Sid is thinking, like, I don't have many of these games left. Hopefully he makes the team. I think he will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's going to be a big deal to get on this team and perform well with the Olympics looming in 2026. Like, can I just... <laughs> I don't think that it's this tournament and this format. I don't think it's the NHL and NHL's PA's responsibility to make this a global event or to make this a promotion of the entirety of international hockey. Like, I I just don't. I don't think that they're under any obligation to do that. I think that you pointed out a really good point here is that you've got a great burgeoning rivalry. Mm -hmm. And there's two of them here, really. I mean, Sweden versus Finland and U.S. versus... Canada, and you're trying to promote those and give them a higher profile. And What's all the incredible players on Canada and the U.S., the U.S. might go into this favored. You're looking at that roster and going, man, like now they got centers and defensemen and they still got great wingers and goalies, you know, better goalies than Canada like, does. I'm trying, I'm trying to pull off the top of my head, like the Ryder Cup, for example. Mm-hmm. There's very good golfers that are left out of the Ryder Cup competition because they're just not involved in it, right? I would imagine some South American golfers and everyone else that basically isn't yeah. either American They play or in European. the President's Cup, which isn't as big a deal as the Ryder Cup. Right. Uh, international football, everyone has their own regional championships with, geographically, which mm-hmm. is a big Like, the Euros don't invite teams from outside Europe to go participate in them, right? Yeah. And it's likewise, I mean, Copa America's kind of expanded now. But I guess the point is... This is seems this, it seems absolutely fine to me as a compromise given what the league has to work with. Like yeah. I know that David Pasternak and Leon Draisaitl won't be able to participate, and I'm like, well, that's unfortunate, but I don't think it detracts from what you're going to get out of the tournament. If that makes it's better. Sense. Than, it's better than shoehorning them in in an awkward way with Team Europe. Exactly. You know, that's kind of where I'm going with this, yeah. right? I mean, and the young guns. Mm-hmm. You didn't need those. You're going to get some true international rivalries here because these teams, and if you look at the players that they're going to be able to choose from, it is star-studded, fully loaded, in the middle of an NHL season. So it's not a warm-up tournament at the beginning of the year. It's going to be go get after it. I think it's going to be fun from our perspective, the media and fan perspective too, because you're going to have the run-up to choosing those teams. You didn't have that in the last World Cup because you were like, all right, I got to do some math here because yeah. how old is this guy versus how old is this guy? Oh, right, he's not eligible for this team. He's he's too young or he's too old, and, and you know this is going to be more about okay, who should make the team, and then those players have to go out. The bubble players have to go out there and perform. Um, otherwise, they might not make the Olympic team. So the rules, it's funny. There's a small wrinkle that I don't think a lot of people picked up on. And it's that they're going to start announcing this team this summer. So in in about four or five months, we're going to get the first six players from each of the four teams announced as this. I mean, it's, I guess it's to wet the whistle of everyone and get them all excited about this. But I mean, that makes it really interesting as well, right? Like who were the first six on Team Canada going to be. You've got to assume that the first two are going to be McKinnon and McDavid. Does Crosby get in there right away? At this stage of the game, you'd have to be like, well, how does he not? He's having such a tremendous year in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Could you actually leave him off the first six? 
and say like, oh, Sid, you know, we'll probably include you, but you're going to have to work your way onto the roster. And then you go down the list and these first six that they're going to, do you name a goalie to your top six or do you just go the first best six players? Do you name six forwards right away because you know you're going to fill out the rest of the team anyway? Those are the things that I miss about international competition because those are the real talking points when it comes time to selection mm-hmm. and who gets picked and who gets snubbed. I'll never forget being at the Winter Classic in 2014 when the U.S. announced its Olympic roster. That was a massive deal, not necessarily because of who made it, but who got left out and then, and then, why, they got, and after. then why they got left out. Yeah. Like, that was a big deal. You don't see a lot of these guys have that kind of disappointment. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I mean, it's not like, like, does Horvat make Team Canada? I've seen rosters with him or without him. It's a great question. Because he's know? having another really good year statistically with the Islanders. Him uh, and Barzell are a thing. Do you take them both? Bungalow Jim in Vancouver talking about um, our segment where we compared the atmosphere around the Canucks during the last All-Star game compared to the atmosphere around this past All-Star game. Um Jim and Victoria said at the beginning of the season, I was cautiously optimistic, but still thought a lot of things landed in our favor in terms of weak competition or playing tired, bruised up contenders. I think the turning point for me this season to fully accept this team as a quote unquote wagon was the January road trip. That being said, I am a lifelong Canucks fan, so I'm conditioned to believe the wheels will come off at any moment. Upcoming road trip looks scary. He's like, yeah, we got through the January road trip. Now we got the February road trip. Justin, and he's fan, what are the expectations for the Canucks on this five-game road trip? Would it be a disappointment if they finished below NHL 500? I wouldn't, I'm not going to panic if they don't have the greatest road trip. I think it's always tough to come out of a break. Yeah. Uh, they've got a new player in Elias Lindholm that they're going to try and work into the top six. That might not go 100% smoothly. They're playing good teams. Like They could lose tomorrow in Carolina and lose Thursday in Boston, and what are you going to do? Have a have a have panic attack over that? Um, even the weekend is tough against Detroit and Washington because you're playing a pretty good team in Detroit, and then you've got to travel and go to Washington on Sunday. And they're weird start times for the Canucks, right? The Canucks never seem to play well in those afternoon start times. And then the five-game road trip finishes in Chicago where you would expect to get a win. But you never know in the NHL when you're when you're the road team. You never know in the NHL, period. So, I mean, I think the Canucks have set the bar so much higher this season that you'd expect a couple wins on this road trip. But... As I said in the beginning, like I don't think a dose of adversity would be the worst thing for this team just to experience it before the playoffs because everything is going well. Even the last game, think of the last game before the All-Star break. They were down 4-1 to Columbus. And we kind of thought, oh, they're going in on a bit of a low note because they just lost in it was in overtime to St. Louis or was it the shoot? I can't remember. They lost to St. Louis in the game before. And you don't going, remember how they lost to St. Louis? Oh, right. It was controversial, right? Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. We almost got a divorce after that show. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. The penalty. Yeah. 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 Um, see, that that sort of thing, I just sweep under the rug now. It doesn't even bother me. Anymore. We're best friends again. Um, and you know, you're thinking, oh God, okay. Well, 
maybe this is maybe this is it or maybe maybe they're starting to get too high on their publicity or something along those lines and then they come back and they win that game they win the game in Columbus against Columbus and they go into the all-star break flying high um it's not going to be the end of the world if they lose three or four in a row most teams go through this during the it's regular a, it's season it's a very good point to bring right up. okay and like look i don't want adversity in the form of like <laughs> a major injury to one of their star players. I definitely do not want that. Um, But maybe just a little bit of, I don't want to say negativity, but pressure. Pressure. Like people are like, oh, here come the Canucks. They're coming crashing down down to earth and they have to stabilize themselves and they have to show that, you know, listen, we do have trust in this team. We have trust in the system. When the Canucks would go in the tank before, and I would say, especially under under Boudreaux, and because I think that roster was more well, the core players were similar. At any rate, when they went in under previous coaches, I was kind of like, I don't think they know how to get out of this because mm-hmm. I don't think they trust their system. And the, your system should be like your security blanket that you can go back to, right? You're like, okay, guys, listen, like, don't try to do too much, don't try to be a hero out there. Just play the system. We know the system works, so trust the system. Hopefully they've got that this year. I don't think they've had that in previous years, or at the very least they hadn't bought into it fully. Yeah, I think we need to just understand that it is almost impossible for an NHL team, even of the highest caliber, to go through a season without an extended losing streak. Even that Boston team that we referenced earlier, last year's Boston team, that was one of the greatest regular season teams in the 100-plus year history of the National Hockey League. Like, not salary cap era, not, you know, uh, 1967 expansion plus. Like, since the beginning of time, that was one of the greatest regular season teams in NHL history. Even they had a three-game losing streak. And we're talking about a Boston team that was the fastest ever to get to 80 points, fastest ever to get to 100 points, fastest ever to get to 50 wins. Like, that team last year just did not lose games in the regular season, Mm -hmm. and they even had a three-game losing streak. So should the Canucks go on a losing streak here? I think perspective, as you're suggesting here, is good and important to have. Also, watch us freak out. Don't freak out. No one. For, I'm going to freak out, but don't freak out. <laughs> Just kind of understand that. Because how they lose will be like, oh, my God, this Lindholm guy looks awful. Yeah, this was a mistake. We messed with chemistry. We come back on Friday. Is the season no. over? Did Lindholm blow this? Did Lindholm ruin the season? All these things. You is never the, mess with chemistry. Is the all-star curse real? But, you know, I, so really there's two two very important and positive takeaways. Is One, this happens to everybody. And two, as Jason said, adversity can be a good thing. In a season where you don't face a lot, it's good for a group. And some of the new guys, right? Man, Teddy Bluger's like, I don't know why you guys in Vancouver are all upset. Ever since I've got here, it's been roses. So what you're saying is don't Houston. panic? It not, yeah, obviously don't panic. Okay, I think that's a big part of it. But the other part of it is that you need to understand that this trip starts with two games on the road against two of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. Then it goes into the weekend with the two games and the worst start times imaginable. Out here, ten the ten and ten thirty back to back. Anything like the kiss before, of death. Anything before noon Pacific when you're doing a back to back is a nightmare. Everyone's thrown off. Sat well, especially dead. especially the second game for the players too, yep. because you know even though they're going to be able to fly out of Detroit 
early and get into D.C. and get to their hotel rooms. And they just have to wake up early again and play a game. They're all thinking about what they're going to do for the Super Bowl. We don't have kind of time. we got to find a restaurant or something. It can be very stressful. Um, I want to read this text from Craig and Campbell River because it's Super Bowl related. Good morning. If you gentlemen were invited to a quote-unquote big game party, you don't have to do it. You can say Super Bowl party. Mm -hmm. But it was in a smallish condo, and of the 10 attendees, eight were not football fans. Would you attend? I have rejected an invitation oh. to the big game party next weekend and have elected to watch the game alone at home because I actually want to watch the game. I feel I'm going to get some blowback on this, but I don't think I should. What are your thoughts? Craig, you are entirely within your rights as a sports fan to reject that invitation. I would reject that invitation too. Yes, you might get some blowback. I feel like this might be like girlfriend, wife related, where some friends of mine are having some friends over for the Super Bowl, and and we just think it'll be real fun. We'll make a lot of like food for the Super Bowl, and oh, like Janice is a big Taylor Swift fan, so she's gonna watch the game, and uh, you know who who's the halftime show? Usher. Usher. Like Usher is gonna be really good. And have you heard of this Travis Kelsey guy? I would avoid that. At all costs, because I actually think the Super Bowl is going to be fascinating from a football perspective. There is going to be a lot of noise that is non-football, more so than most years. I watched that Seahawks collapse against the Patriots. Well, it wasn't a collapse. It was just like a disaster. The Seahawks disaster uh, at a Super Bowl party where some people were into it, but most people didn't really care all that much. They're like, oh, he threw... Did he throw an interception? And, like, my life had just been thrown into, like, complete chaos. And all these people are around there just, like, chatting about, like, where their mortgage is or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, do you not realize, like, my life has been changed here? And it's hard, right? Like, you're, you so know. I if, couldn't watch Canucks finals with the other people. Like the No, in, I like sorry, watching games alone sometimes. I had to be by myself yeah. for every game. Like, I yeah. can't be around other people right the, now. Well, I had a very specific group <laughs> that I would watch with, and they were all hardcore fans that didn't say dumb stuff. Okay. Yeah. You know, and you and you actually and we had interviews to join the group and everything and like, you know, like well, situational interviews like, OK, sure. here's the what would you do here? Um, you know, and it's very important to when you're watching a big game, have the people that you trust watching that big game with you. So Craig and Campbell River, we fully support you if you need a note from us, like a doctor's note. Um, to miss that uh, super uh, that big game party, feel free to text into the show and we'll give it to you. Uh, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. We will continue the big game talks. Uh, our first of many Super Bowl previews this week. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider, presentation of the Clayton Public House. Um, big football party. Uh, he'll be joining us next, so we'll run through some of the big questions going into Sunday's game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. The first time that they meet in the Super Bowl in four years. Yeah, it's been so long since this rematch happened. There's a lot to get to there. 8 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Kevin Woodley, NHL.com and Ingoal Magazine. We'll get back into the hockey talk there. And then at 8.30, we'll dive into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. We will read some of your texts. It's your chance to be on the radio, what you learned over the last 72 hours in sports and we will be giving away one pair of tickets a three-day pass two three-day passes as a matter of fact to the hsbc rugby sevens 
at BC Place from February 23rd to 25th. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Grants. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-two on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Alfred Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Alfred Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can get it at your nearest liquor store, and if you can't, ask for it. Or you could go to the brewery and see how it's made. Let's go to the phone lines now for a little NFL talk. Our NFL insider, Mike Tannier, now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Greetings from the home office in southern New Jersey, not in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I want to start with, I mean, it's 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 a bit of a downer. It's a bit of a bummer. Uh, I am, for those that don't know, you were previously writing for The Messenger, and if you go and look at The Messenger right now, The Messenger ain't there anymore. Uh, It's shut down. We wanted to offer our condolences because we've been working in this industry a long time. Uh, We have some experience in being shut down rather quickly and without warning, so um, if you want to get into what happened, feel free. If you just want to accept the condolences and move on to the Super Bowl, we can do that as well, but the microphone is yours for the next little bit here, Mike. You know, I, I remember that I was speaking to kindred spirits who, uh, you know, showed up for work one day and I guess found uh, old comedy tapes in their uh, taking their place. So we, we, we all know this industry. Um, and I'll just tell you, it was it was Wednesday afternoon in the messenger football department, NFL department. We we're having a meeting uh, on Zoom. And, you know, we knew there were all these rumors the company was going under. And but they, my editor was like, OK, you guys are getting in some of you on Sunday night, some of you Monday morning at Vegas. You're at this hotel. You're at this hotel. I want you to cover the Chiefs. I want you to cover the 49ers. You go, go to media night. Here's who picks up the credentials. Here's what does this. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, we're psyched. We're psyched. And we didn't get to the end of the, uh, the meeting uh, when the New York Times announced that the messenger was shutting down and not just shutting down in a, a week or a month or you know, 60 days or whatever, but shutting down in the next half hour. So, so all of us in the NFL department were like, well, I guess we're not getting on a plane. It is, it is difficult. It is challenging. Uh, and, you know, I can say to the, re- the listeners out there, you guys support Harford and Brown. You, you support uh, your favorite sports writers, whoever, bloggers. Keep supporting them. You're the ones we do this for. You're the ones that keep us in business, and we love doing this for you. And I could, I mean, look, regardless of outlet, you're still one of our favorites, and you're a tremendous NFL insider, and you, we've been doing this for years now. So uh, we press on, and we look ahead to the Super Bowl. I can't help but think that the timing of this from the Messenger's NFL department wasn't the best. But anyway, we've got <laughs> we are now six days away from the Super Super Bowl. Everyone has descended on Las Vegas for Super Bowl week. So let's get into some of these topics here that are making the rounds. It's the Super Bowl rematch trend. I wasn't even aware of this, but in each of the last three instances where there's a head coaching rematch, which we've got this year with Andy Reid and the Chiefs and Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, the coach that won the first meeting 
went on and won the second one. Is this just one of these clever factoids that's going to get thrown around? Is there any significance to this? I'll get into the Kyle Shanahan blowed leans thing in a minute. But is there anything that needs to suggest that the 49ers have to go out there and buck the Super Bowl rematch trend? I'm trying to think who this trend is involved with. It's Jimmy Johnson, Marv Levy for the Cowboys and Bills. Um, I don't, I can't remember the other ones. It has to involve uh, Bill Belichick and somebody, correct? Yeah, it's five of the previous seven instances. So there's an overwhelming statistical lean where in the rematch, (laughs) the the coach that won the first one wins the second one. I love how you say that overwhelming statistical lean. Like if, if something's yeah. a lean, it can only be so overwhelming. I don't know. It's probably indication that often that the, one of the coaches has the better team. And if they're doing a rematch, it's within a few years of each other like this. So that the, the real story behind the story here is Kyle Shanahan having to overcome something that Andy Reid does. Andy Reid is the greatest currently employed NFL coach. Uh, you know, and Kyle Shanahan is one of the four or five best, and that's it. That that that's how it's going to be, even if Kyle Shanahan and, and the 49ers get a win here. Yeah, because I mean, the questions that Kyle Shanahan's going to have to face is that, and then it's going to be, hey, can you not blow a lead in the Super Bowl this time? Because I don't remember he was the yeah. offensive coordinator in Atlanta when they were up twenty-eight to three, and then everyone remembers that they had a twenty-ten to lead on the Chiefs the last time they were in the Super Bowl. Now there are some dramatic differences here. He's got a much different offense. I would say much better mm-hmm. weapons than he did four years ago different quarterback of course and Brock Purdy, but it is always going to be uh, a question of Kyle Shanahan when it comes down to these games is, are you going to blow another lead? Are you going to blow another lead? And the flip side of this, not only do you have Andy Reid, but you have Steve Spagnuolo in another Super Bowl going all the way back to 2007 when he was the coordinator of the Giants. And, you know, they get a, a safety on Tom Brady. You know, they, they sack, I forget how many times they sacked Tom Brady, and they, they made him look like Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl back years ago. So you, you, you do have things like that there. I guess the difference is I don't know how much I ever, like, assigned the blown leads to Kyle Shanahan. Okay. You know, he's he's facing a buzzsaw of Tom Brady on a mission late in that late in that game against the uh, Falcons. You know, maybe the offense made a mistake or two along the way. It was a more matter of just the the, the Patriots pouring it on. And you know, uh, a couple of, a couple of years ago, it, it was Garoppolo in the fourth quarter. You know, Garoppolo in the fourth quarter is not making plays. And I think part of that also was that, you know guys weren't tackling well for the Forty ers They fell apart. I think Brock Purdy can make a few of the plays that Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't. I don't. I don't want to get into who Brock Purdy is, you know, his legacy stuff like that that much. I think he's a little better than Jimmy Garoppolo, and that could be sufficient for Kyle Shanahan to not blow this lead. Mike, um, of the Chiefs' offense, the Chiefs' defense, the Niners' offense, and the Niners' defense, which of those units is the strongest? So you're almost like taking what? four teams and going, what is the strongest or most impactful? Yeah, it's probably the 49ers offense when you come right down to it. The Chiefs offense for years was better. You look at their receiving core now and say they're not on that plane. The Chiefs defense has played very well, but if you look at them against the run, uh, it hasn't been you know particularly spectacular. The Chiefs defense gets a lot of uh, ballyhoo, but if you watch them in the last couple of weeks, they were very porous in the first half. The Chiefs' defense has not been playing to its billing over the last like month or two. And then you look at the Chiefs' offense, and yeah, it's had some uh, stumbles in, in, during the playoffs along the way as well. But you look at what their p- explosive potential is with all of those playmakers, and that potential is even greater than the Chiefs' potential is right now with the playmakers Mahomes has. Yeah. So do you think have the 
have the Chiefs played an offense as good as the Niners in this playoffs? Because they've played some pretty good offenses. Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore, that's... Three yeah. pretty good. I mean, they only they held Miami to seven points. They held Baltimore to ten points. That is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Baltimore offense, the Baltimore Ravens showed throughout the regular season they were the better team than the San Francisco 49ers. The Ravens beat the 49ers in the regular season handily. Uh, when you look at the statistics, the Ravens were a better team on in all three phases uh, than the San Francisco 49ers. So you're know, beating the, the, the Ravens handily demonstrates what you're capable of against the uh, the 49ers. I guess the one thing is it's a little bit of a different challenge because, you know, it, to a degree, the Ravens are mostly about st- stopping all the things that Lamar Jackson does to you. The 49ers are mostly about stopping all of the things, you know, with the ball in their hands that McCaffrey, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, uh, the secondary guys beyond them, those guys do. It's a little bit of a different challenge, but I think the Chiefs have shown during their playoff gauntlet that they're up for those kind of challenges. How well positioned are the Niners to stop the Mahomes-Kelsey connection? Uh, you know what? This is a team that can guard with their linebackers. This is a team that can take out tight ends with Fred Warner and Dre Greenwall. Most teams cannot do that. Most teams have to go into some kind of matchup situation against Kelsey. So if the question just was, hey, you know, neutralize Kelsey over the middle and, and you win, which is, I think was the question for the Chiefs weeks one to like 10 this year, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, take the 49ers minus two points and roll. It's a little more like, can you do this and can you stop Pacheco and can you stop Rashi Rice? And, you know, the 49ers do have answers to most questions, but when you take a trio of solid playmakers and you put Patrick Mahomes behind the wheel of it, it becomes a difficult thing. And what we saw from the 49ers the last couple of weeks, they had trouble with balance. They had trouble with the running game of the Lions. Uh, they had trouble with the, the, the balance that the, uh, that the Packers could throw at them when they had all of their playmakers healthy, and that's what the 49ers have to show they can handle on Sunday. Um, are the Chiefs, in, in your mind, are they already a dynasty? I think of them as a dynasty. Yeah. You look at the, I, I saw a thing, and it was actually at FTM Network, and I'm affiliated with FTM Network. I do a podcast with them, and the question was, is Patrick Mahomes already a Hall of Famer? And I was like, "Who's asking? Like, who 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 doesn't think that?" But like, I, yes, I, I'm the guy who on the internet who will like, "This guy's not a Hall of Famer. This guy's not a Hall of Famer." You'll see crazy things go across the internet. Like, you know, is Kirk Cousins a Hall of Famer? You'll see stuff like that. And you have to be like, "Oh my God, no!" Yes, Mahomes is already a Hall of Famer. And if you look at the scope of NFL history, a lot of times the great dynasties, you're talking about a four, five, six year run. If you look at the uh, Steelers, the the Steel Curtain Steelers, I think you go from seventy four. To 81, I guess that's seven years, something like that, maybe eight years. We're already looking at really like five years of dominance here. I don't know how much more they have to, to do to prove this is the team of an era. This is the team of a generation. We're speaking to Mike Tanier, our NFL insider, in a presentation of the Clayton Public House here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Mike, I do want to turn our attention to the NHL co- or NHL NFL coaching carousel Ooh. here. Uh, in that it stopped spinning last week. The final two vacancies were filled. Mike McDonald goes from the defensive coordinator in Baltimore to the head coach in Seattle. Dan Quinn goes from the defensive coordinator in Dallas to the head coach in Washington. That means that Bill Belichick, after 24 years as the head coach in New England, is now left without a seat at the table this season. Do you think that we see Belichick on an NFL sideline again, or is this the beginning of the end of his coaching career? I think we'll see him again. I went back and looked at most of the great coaches of history 
Most of them wind up taking a year off or two years off or three years off. He can go through them. I think we remember Andy Reid. He was hired like at the end of the same day he was fired. That was an anomaly. Most of them, you, you bide your time for a minute. If you look at Bill Parcells' career, usually there's a year off in between, whether he's going to the booth or he's going you know, to, to his uh, volcano fortress or whatever he was doing. So I think we might see Belichick, as the season goes on, ending up in some kind of consulting position somewhere. I know you said uh, on the sideline, but I think it starts with him coming in to some organization as you know, president or above the GM or something like that. And then deciding from there whether that's the role he wants to take or working his way down. It's it's tricky when you have Belichick and you have his baggage and you have his expectations to fit him in as your head coach, you know, during a hiring cycle where you're looking at, hey, you know, Mike McDonald, <laughs> you know, this uh, this this 40 year old comes in with fresh ideas. Let's use him. Teams have to kind of work themselves up to a Belichick hire, and that often takes a little bit of time. Bill Belichick will turn 72 in April. How much yeah. would or should age be a factor in making the decision for a coach you know down here in the united states everybody running for president is like over 80 or whatever uh i'm not worried about head coaches at 72 at this point so uh, what happens when you're a head coach is you do have the power to delegate and that can make things easier but bill uh, uh pete carroll was much more of a delegator you saw how much energy he had in the 70s i think the question i would have for belichick is does he recognize that? Does he look at this and say, oh, okay, I'm getting a little older now. Maybe the best thing to do is make sure I have a, you know, defensive coordinator who's like my, you know, my, my top lieutenant and a GM who can take care of this stuff so I can focus on what I need to focus on. That's the one thing Belichick has not shown he's able to do. He takes on more responsibilities as he get old, gets older, and that's not a good recipe for success uh, when, you know, when you might be slowing down a tiny bit. Is there a type of team that you think he would work well with? Like, what stage of team do you think he'd join? It would be very tempting, for example, to take over a team. Um, like, I, I'd brought up the Washington Commanders just because this right. is a, you know, a, a storied franchise that has fallen on hard times for a while. Um, but mm-hmm. if you could be the guy to turn that team around and regain its glory – what an amazing thing that would be. But then you're thinking, okay, well, I'm nearly 72. Do I have time to do this? <laughs> Might it be easier to go to a team, um, I suppose a bit like Jim Harbaugh did, where you've got a quarterback in Justin Herbert that maybe needs a little bit more guidance or the organization just needs a little bit more guidance, but some of the key pieces are already there. Yeah, I think it's about that guidance. If you look at everything besides Justin Herbert in, in the, with the Chargers, it's a mess. Jim Harbaugh's going into a mess there. And, you know, I thought that the perfect fit for Belichick was going to be Washington because they would hand him the keys to the kingdom. And he could go in there and do these things that, along the lines of, hey, under Dan Snyder, this organization was a joke and a mess. And the first thing I do is bring credibility. And I teach, like, the scouting department and the ticket-taking department and everything how to do things right. That's the kind of thing he can bring to the table. I think it comes down to what he wants in terms of his ego, whether he wants to build another empire or if he wants to jump in and say, hey, Jerry Jones, I'll I'll fix these little problems with the Cowboys and take the next step. The one thing I'm almost certain of is Bill Belichick isn't sitting there saying, I'm 72 years old. I don't have a lot of time left. In his mind, he's just when he takes the next job, he's taking it. He's devoting all his energy to it. and He's not thinking about his own 
age or his own limitations. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, the next time we'll talk to you, we will be recapping the Super Bowl. So let's finish with your prediction. Uh, It is on Sunday, Super Sunday, the big game, Chiefs 49ers. Who you got? What's your score? Who's going to win? If I can take the Chiefs plus two, I'm going to take it. If I can take the Chiefs with a positive money line, I'm going to take it. I respect the 49ers. They're a heck of a team. I'm going with the Chiefs. And I'm going to lean a little bit on the under here, and I'm going to say this is going to be, let's go with a 23-19 to 19 Chiefs victory. Uh, I like it. I'm kind of on the same page. And I want to thank you for doing this today once again. Uh, you're the best. We love having you on the show. We will do this again on Hangover Monday, and we'll look back on the Super Bowl. Excellent. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you. That's Mike Tanier, our NFL insider, uh, courtesy of the Clayton Public House here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So I like where he's going with that because... What, with the Niners losing another Super Bowl? Yeah. So, so do I. Uh, yeah. Also, um, I think it's going to be a relatively low event, low scoring game. I think it trends in that, that That's what you said about the Canucks season, though, remember? Yep, and it's definitely proven accurate. <laughs> it's going to be low-event low hockey. They probably, definitely they probably won't score many goals. They definitely don't have, like, four of the top ten scorers in the <laughs> NHL. So, And they don't have a 30-goal scorer already in Brock Besser. So, uh, no, I, well, look at – you brought up a good point. Kudos to you during the interview and saying, look at how the Chiefs have won two of these three games en route to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Is It was with defense. They shut down. Now, granted, I think the weather played a role in it, but they shut down a prolific, high-profile Miami offense. Yeah. And then they held a Baltimore offense, which had been rolling up to that point, especially the ground game, although the Ravens got away from the run game a little bit. But they, they held Baltimore to minimal offensive production. And I think most importantly in that game, the defense took the ball away on yeah. a couple of occasions. It wasn't just an ineffective Baltimore offense. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs made plays defensively. Or the Ravens made mistakes. I mean, well, it was a combination of both. Right? I, like, I, I give the, the fumble that Zay Flowers had at the goal line. That was I, both. I give the, the Chiefs a lot of credit for making that play happen. Like, oh, Flowers, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Never give up on a play, and they didn't. The strip sack of uh, Lamar Jackson in the first half. I thought that was a tremendous defensive play. The pick mm-hmm. that they had, he forced that into coverage. They made plays. More importantly, they found a way to keep that team out of the end zone. Now, here's the interesting thing about all this. The Chiefs have won football games without Patrick Mahomes having a huge effort. You know how many touchdown passes Patrick Mahomes has in the three playoff games? Four. Yeah. So it's not like he's been going out there and lighting teams up. He's found Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. and they've had a big connection. Yeah. But it hasn't been Mahomes is throwing... 40 completions for 379 yards and three touchdowns like we've seen in the past. This is, they run the ball effectively, right? Isaiah Pacheco. Someone said, I can't remember who put it out there. He runs around like a kid trying on shoes at a store. (laughs) And it's kind of funny. It is that similar running style, but he's been effective. And uh, they've kind of realized, like, we have a lousy wide receiving core. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to rely on them like we did at times during the regular season. And it's actually funny because the less that they have forced these guys to make uh, catches, the better they become at catching the football. So I got a stat here. It's talking about their drop rate. And they dropped 12% of their passes during the regular season. What's average? Uh, I don't know, but they've cut that in half. It's now down to 6.1% in the playoffs. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I guess what you're doing, like Marcus Valdez-Scantling has been pretty good in clutch situations for them. So I look at this and I'm saying, okay, that's the Kansas City side of things. For San Francisco, I do think the key is going to be, are they going to be able to find ways to beat 
a Chiefs defense that has been very good for them. Yeah. Because, honestly, if you look at it right now, all due respect to the Mahomes Kelsey, you have to say that the 49ers have as many weapons on offense as the Chiefs have right now. They have more. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you think of the, the options behind Kelsey and Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Because right now you're saying, well, Purdy is what he is, but they can put the ball in the hands of Christian McCaffrey. They can put the ball in the hands of Samuel and Ayuk. And they've got George Kittle, who's a pretty good tight end on his own. Yeah. He's not in that Travis Kelsey range, but he's close. I mean, obviously, you would take Mahomes over Purdy, but... 100%. But no the, one's saying not. We're talking about weapons. Collective offense. Yeah, yeah. Collective weapons on offense. Yeah. Add it all up, and it's I'm saying... It's a pretty fascinating matchup. You know? It is. It yeah. really is. And, you know, you get fascinating matchups in the Super Bowl all the time because mm-hmm. you talk them up for weeks. But this one in particular, and we're almost ignoring the sideshow we're, aspect and element... Yeah. Because I mean, that's a big part of this too, right? It's in Vegas. You've got the Taylor Swift thing. Like, this is going to be a glorious disaster of distractions and sideshows. Where is your rooting interest? Is it, um, I mean, we're Seahawks fans, so we're not cheering for the Niners. But are you are you more cheering for the Chiefs? I'm making some assumptions here. Or are you cheering against the Niners? And as a division rival of the Seahawks, wouldn't it be kind of it would give us something, I suppose, if the Niners couldn't get it done again and you'd still be like, uh, your last Super Bowl win was in nineteen ninety four. That's a long time ago. 20, Considering yeah. all the all the all the good seasons they've had since then, they've come really close to winning it. Yep. And not just the times that they made the Super Bowl, you know, the times that they've made a title game or whatever, with a whole host of different players and quarterbacks and coaches and, you know, it's impressive what they've done, but they yeah. but they haven't finished the job in a long, long time. Well, I'm hoping that we get the trio, like the trilogy of really tight Super Bowl games here. Because last year obviously was, I mean, borderline classic, 38-35. Yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. The year prior, that Rams-Bengals game was good. It was a little bit more low scoring, but it was a one score game at the end of it, 23 20. The two before that, you got to remember, like, remember when Tampa Bay beat Kansas City? Yeah. That was not a good game. No. By any stretch. It was very lopsided, and the Chiefs put up nine points in that game. And the year prior, uh, you had the great comeback by the Chiefs, but the 49ers really fell so flat in the second half that mm-hmm. it lacked a lot of the drama at the end. So I'm hoping, first and foremost, for a game that goes down to the wire and we've got that drama. I get what you're saying, and I'm there with, I do not want to see the Niners win a Super Bowl. But I, are, I, you, are you more against them, or are you more for the Chiefs? Because I actually like the Chiefs. I, th- I, I, I respect the Chiefs. I think Andy Reid's a good coach. Um, I like watching Patrick Mahomes play. I like Travis Kelsey. Like, what this team has done. I used to, like, used to, you know, the Chiefs were probably my my secondary team, and this goes way back just because I remember the first time I ever saw a Chiefs game at Arrowhead, obviously on TV, I was like, whoa, like, that place looks amazing. That that looks incredible. Like, what an atmosphere there. That would be cool to go to a game there. For me right now, the entertainment value is going to trump everything. I really want a good, compelling game. Mm-hmm. I think, well, part of it is that, like, I know that the end is nigh for football. So you're just going in there with, like, with a football just, pennant? Yeah, like, just good t- game. TV sports, like, let's go sports. Because right. I like I know the dark days of, like, I love watching the NFL. I'm not going to lie. The NFL this year, entertainment-wise, has kind of underwhelmed. Yeah. It has not been a great year for entertainment value in the NFL. There's been way too much mediocre to poor quarterback play. Uh, we've seen the Aaron Rodgers thing at the beginning of the year was a huge blow in terms of seeing one of the most compelling storylines play out. Mm-hmm. That was awful. I would say what you will about Rodgers, whether you like him or not. 
him starting a new chapter in his career and then having it go the way that it went, that sucked. Because I wanted to see that play out, and it didn't. So I'm kind of hoping in a very nice sort of farewell to the 2023-2024 NFL season that we go out with a really great game. Okay, two things. Number one, Kevin Woodley is coming up. We'll talk about the Canucks as they return to action uh, tomorrow night in Carolina. Uh, Start of a pretty tough five-game road trip out of the all-star break. So we'll talk about the Canucks and their incredible turnaround this season. Number two, we need more of what we learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're giving away Rugby Sevens tickets. So if you want Rugby Sevens tickets, this is a full, th- is a three-day pass, full three-day pass, pair of tickets. Use the Canada flag emoji in your what we learned to enter the competition for best what we learned. Again, Rugby Sevens tickets, pair of tickets on the line. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.